Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner, and BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, rotate operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. We can talk through the various innovations that, that we've brought to market to achieve that, but it's not one thing. You know, Oxwash isn't just a single patent business that cleans textiles and jelly beans, and therefore it's, it's fantastic, super special magic beans, but it's the systematic improvement of the process whilst eliminating carbon at the same time. And for us, it's a very simple equation. You know, if we can remove energy, remove water, remove waste, remove, you know, overheads of any kind, not only is that better for the planet, but it's better for our margins and therefore the price that we offer our clients as well for cleaning a thousand napkins for a restaurant or whatever it is. And so it's very, very clear to us that you can make planet and profit a balance that is better for business, but it does take innovation. Today, we're in for an eye-opening conversation with Kyle Grant, founder and CEO of Oxwash. This interview, Kyle shares why he founded Oxwash, a company transforming the laundry industry. We discuss the environmental impact of traditional laundering methods and how hospitality operators, by looking at their laundry setup, could not just save money, but also make a huge positive impact on community and the planet the same time. Discover how Oxwash's innovative approach has led to remarkable results and how the company actively is supporting impactful projects. Carl here insights into some of the pressing issues in the industry and how we can solve them and reflects on his many key learnings as a founder and business owner over the last couple of years. If you liked today's episode, it will mean the world to me if you could leave a review of the show on either on our website, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. The better the reviews, the better the guest, and ultimately, the better the learning is for you. Don't miss out on this inspiring conversation with Kyle on covering the transformative journey of Oxford and their commitment to positive change. Now, let's dive in, grab notebook, and enjoy. Welcome to uh, 2024. And actually, the first episode of this year. I was preparing for this conversation, and I never in my wildest dreams thought I would be interesting finding out what the problem with laundry is, actually. And especially as we're talking about a business-to-business scale and with the angle into hospitality. And it didn't really, uh, you know, I hadn't thought about it that much before, you know, Oxwash reached out to me and, and Kyle as the founder is with us here today, and he will talk much more about what the issues is. But I didn't understand actually the scale of it and actually how much actually with small decision we can actually impact things in a positive direction when you think about our laundry. And that's, of course, one thing is this power, but also the way we, if we're actually doing it in the most sustainable way, and actually is it actually the, the, the best solution we have as well. There's some interesting conversation around that we'll come back to. But also, again, a really interesting business here, uh, coming back to the purpose of this podcast, is actually business that is a, a force for good, actually trying to think differently and actually trying to have a positive impact on the, uh, the environment they're part of, the communities, and as well. The planet. So, welcome to the show, Kyle. I'm excited about our conversation today. Me too. Thanks for having me, Michael. So, so Kyle, for people just to get a bit of a perspective on, you know, what Oxwash is, and actually how you got around to get this idea about that, actually, you know, you needed to challenge an, an old industry and a very established mm-hmm. industry in its ways of uh, doing things. Can you just give a bit of an insight into what Oxwash is, your journey, and uh, what your mission is now? 
Of course. Yeah. So it all started for us around seven years ago when I was pursuing a PhD at Oxford University in something similar to laundry, but not uh, a million, million miles away, which was actually around genetics and life support systems. And mm -hmm. you're probably thinking, what the hell? That's not laundry. What are you talking about? But actually, my career until I founded Oxwash was focused around how do you recycle all the resources that human beings need to survive in space? The air that you breathe, the water that you drink, mm. the calories that you eat, all of these inputs. And it, it was whilst doing a PhD on, on this that I realized that closer to home, there's an industry that has very little life support uh, practices in it, which is commercial laundry and actually vast amounts of energy, water, chemistry are used every single day to clean textiles that your listeners might be wearing or putting on their tables and beds. But actually what's going out the back door of those cleaning processes is incredibly toxic to the planet and its people. So we founded Oxwash and made it our mission to eliminate that impact of textile cleaning on the planet and its people. And we're doing that through bringing a service to market that we built ourselves from scratch. We operate ourselves as a vertically integrated model to displace this antiquated, very inefficient, very expensive in many cases, and very polluting industry with one that is fit for the future, that is net zero, that is hyper-reliable, and also holds digital transparency and integrity at its core. So that's what we're doing today. And just to, just to shine a light on, how does it, the industry traditional work, what kind of impact is it doing mm. when you talk about what it actually comes out in the end? Because that's really interesting, you know, because one thing is, you know, you talked about there's chemicals involved, there's energy involved, there's uh, also textiles, where they're from and how have they been treated before actually they arrive on the, the tables or the beds or your clothes. But, but how, is the, how is it the picture today, the, the majority of the industry? How does that look? Yeah. The best way to look at this, if you're a hospitality operator, is to use the example of a clean pillowcase or let's say a clean a scrub top or whatever it is that you, you want as a example of the footprint of impact that that has arriving at your door ready to wear. And you're right. The footprint is composed of the manufacture of the item itself originally, you know, the cotton even, where that was grown, how it was grown, its transportation the carbon attributed to all of those kind of things, as well as then in the cleaning process, this is where we've gone really deep. The amount of water that's used inside the process, the chemistry that's used, and it's critically its toxicity and whether it's biodegradable or not, because obviously all of that uh, water and toxic chemistry that's typically used in the industry goes one place and that's down the drain and then into our rivers and oceans that we, we obviously want to try and keep hold of and preserve for as long as possible. Then there's also the energy that's used to either heat the water that you're using to wash in, or even then further downstream when you're throwing those items in tumble dryers or large ironing machines to then dry those items before they're then shipped and delivered to customers. When you add up all of these moving parts, the industry is the second most carbon intensive industry after concrete manufacture for every pound of revenue that wow. the industry turns over. So it's a hidden, hidden problem that not many people really recognize. And yes, part of that function is that it's seen as a very cheap um, service. So people don't pay, I mean, I'll, I'll obviously be very biased in this opinion, but don't pay for the service that, that it should be. Uh, but frankly, the industry is also pretty poor at providing a good service. So maybe it is fit for, for the price point. Um, but also, obviously, the amount of energy that's used through cleaning, drying, folding, transporting these items around the world is massive, absolutely massive. So the carbon footprint alone of just a single pillowcase delivered to a hotel to use or a tablecloth to put on a table, for example, is in the you know tens of, of, of kilograms per gram of textile. It's, it's ast astronomical, and that all adds up very, very quickly. Yeah, and I, I was a bit it was also new to me that actually it's actually the second largest contributor, mm. uh, as, as you mentioned. And I, I'm guessed as people listening thinking actually the same. But how do you then, with your model, do differently than the existing business? What is the concrete the business model does that makes sure that you deliver on you know, quality, cleanliness, I guess, is very important. 
the customer service, but then also the, the environmental impact and still make a business out of it. Yeah. So the way that we do this is, is honestly quite simple. It's that we don't compromise on our impact to the planet and its people. So all of our current operating plants are net zero in their process, in, in our scopes that we control. So one and two which is a world first. So there's no other laundries on the planet that operate a net zero process mm. end to end. And we can talk through the various innovations that, that we've brought to market to achieve that. But it's not one thing. You know, Oxwash isn't just a single patent business that cleans textiles and jelly beans. And therefore it's, it's fantastic, super special magic beans. But it's the systematic improvement of the process whilst eliminating carbon at the same time and for us, it's a very simple equation. You know, if we can remove energy, remove water, remove waste, remove, you know, overheads of any kind, not only is that better for the planet, but it's better for our margins and therefore the price that we offer our clients as well for cleaning a thousand napkins for a restaurant or whatever it is. And so it's very, very clear to us that you can make planet and profit a balance that is better for business, but it does take innovation. So if you'd like, we can maybe dive into some yep. of those things that we do. They're a bit weird and wonderful. Yep. So I'll use a couple of examples and there are many, but hopefully some of these will interest your listeners. The first is around the energy consumption for heating water in a commercial yep. laundry. It's astronomical. Everybody knows that if everyone turns on their kettle at home at the same time, yeah. just the energy used to boil that water can completely short the national grid, especially here in the UK where it's not as reliable as we'd like. And that's because water has a really high latent heat capacity. In an industrial laundry with the you know tons and, and thousands of litres of laundry used every single day, to heat that water to a typical washing temperature of 80 degrees in the industry uses a lot of energy. Where does that come from? Natural gas, because it's yeah. the only energy supply really dense enough to heat that volume of water in an industrial process. So we wash everything as cold as possible. And so we do so between 25 and 35 degrees. So that uses, in fact, no um, natural gas to heat that water at all. All of our plants are boiler free, which is a bit unusual. Most laundries have these enormous gas fired boilers in the corner that break and cause all sorts of problems and emit serious amounts of CO2. We don't need them, which also saves money. Again, cost saving for our customers too, in terms of price. But obviously at those low temperatures, as you astutely point out, getting textiles clean is the challenge. And historically, people have done that with bleach mm. and just throw sodium hypochlorite toilet bleach in every wash, put it in the rinse and just bleach it. Like, you know, Tipex. And that goes out in the wastewater, then I guess that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> then it takes the sewage treatment plants for a real ride and eviscerates, you know, your, your estuaries and things afterwards. So we don't use sodium hypochlorite bleach. We use various other biodegradable oxygen bleaches instead. And also use ozone supersaturation, which is a process unique to us um, that is a modification of ozone that is used in cleaning and disinfecting elsewhere in the industry. But what it allows us to do is clean textiles at very low temperatures, but still remove all the germs, so bacteria, viruses, but fungi, things like that, but also ensure that there are no odors as well. So if you're doing work for, let's say, a front of house reception team member that's sharing a blazer in a restaurant obviously you don't want the person on the next shift to smell like the person before they're not going to appreciate that so the ozone allows us to eliminate all the bugs from that textile but also all the odors too so there's one example of the way that we're using innovation to not only improve our margins but also eliminate the impact on the atmosphere and the environment around us as well and so it's in principle, you're using your, your background, I guess, understanding the power of using chemical in the right way to actually create a lot of the innovation to save, first of all, energy and also, I guess, equipment that you don't need compared yeah. to a traditional setup. You're right. I think what's happened in the industry over the last century or so is that the providers of laundry equipment and chemistry into laundries typically then don't work with the operator to improve them over time. So they essentially make every laundry look the same. And all laundries typically look the same today as they did 50 years ago. Wow. You know, these big 
machines, gas hungry or steam hungry, using lots of bleach. It hasn't really changed at all. We've taken a very different approach, which is as process engineers, we own, operate and improve the whole system end to end. So we do a lot of work on chemistry formulations, hardware, software. Uh, we now use AI for stain recognition, all sorts of things that allow us to bring technology down right close to the problem of cleaning textiles rather than relying on very old kind of equipment manufacturers to do it for us. And it's the same way that if you look at Tesla, they make most of the parts for their cars, as do SpaceX. We're doing something very similar with the technology that we use to wash. We have great partners for some equipment, but then we also have to, to, to kind of use our own ingenuity and patents as well. Yeah, because that was actually one of my questions. So I guess all this innovation you, you have patents on, but what, what is the big mission then? Are you going to take over the world of commercial laundry or what is the big vision for, for you guys or a mission we can say as well? Of course. So for me, I can sleep easy and we can tick the box of mission accomplished when all washing done on the planet at scale is done either by us or on our technology to eliminate its impact. And, you know, for me, speaking candidly, that comes from hopefully people in the industry that also provide laundry services to hospitality clients, looking at what we do and adopting similar practices and hopefully licensing our technology in the future as well. And we, we anticipate following a very similar growth trajectory to that of Ocado, the food delivery company yep. in the UK that deliver food very, very well, efficiently on time in full and in quality in, in our borders. But Actually, their real beating heart of the company is the technology that they then license to other operators for delivering goods in other geographies where they don't own the, the brand, as you will. We see our growth being very similar so that an operator in Oman or in Florida or in the UAE can use the Oxwash process and stack to clean textiles in that geography without polluting that geography and its people. And that's the, that's the mission that we're, we're hoping to achieve in the decades ahead. And that's very interesting because in, in principle, when I touched the business, I thought like a service business, but actually the way you will scale the business is on IP and tech in principle. Really, really Correct. Correct. Yeah. And you've got to have that balance of providing the service on your tech to iterate the tech to then be able to license the tech. If you're just sat in a, you know, in a box thinking, I know everything there is to know about offering a service and coding your your AI or in innovating in your ozone or acoustic drying or whatever it is, you'll make mistakes. It's really important to us that we operate a service that our clients love and that we can then take that feedback and improve over time. Yeah, I mean, we maybe should have touched on this a bit earlier, but where, where do you operate right now as a, as a business? Are you in the UK, but is, where is your mm -hmm. geographical focus in this phase? The South. Phase one. Yeah, south, south of the UK. Yeah. South of the UK. Yeah. So kind of everywhere just north of Birmingham down, basically. Yeah. But hopefully with UK wide coverage in the years ahead. Yeah. And I guess also if you have to expand the business, there's also some facilities that you need to acquire because you need to have some proximity to your customers, I guess, for, for delivering the service. That's exactly right. So we run a hub and spoke model across the geographies that we serve, whereby we have two formats of facility. One is called a big blue and the other is called a lagoon. A lagoon is a small kind of 3000 square foot facility that's typically located um, towards a city center. So we have one in Oxford, one in Cambridge, one in Battersea, for example. And they provide a service hyper-locally to clients around the, the area, but they also act as what's called a cross-dock and a, allow us to aggregate lots of laundry from lots of customers into one place. We then trunk and transport those items to Big Blue for large volume cleaning, which is our new facility just on the outskirts of Swindon. Yep. That's around 10 times bigger than a lagoon and allows us to do cleaning at scale with a lot more efficiencies and also is again, net zero. So that's actually where I'm sat today. And that's the, the plant that we're going to spend the next year building to its full capacity and then increasing our service coverage at the same time. And, and then, then it's quite interesting because there's no doubt we've allured to you have customers in, in hospitality, but what, what has been the journey as you have been, you know, evolving the model and which customer are typical using your service? You, me mm. you mentioned 
indirect hotels when you said pillowcases. I guess then that's hotels. Yeah. But who would normally be the customers of this and what are they looking for when they, they come to mm. you guys? So we've had a bit of a journey on on this and I'll give you the background very briefly. But the, the business initially started as a consumer-only service. So we'd come to you know, Michael's door, collect your laundry. Um, we wouldn't strip it off the bed. We wouldn't get that far, but we'd essentially collect the bag of dirty linen, you know, similar to, to the kind of pictures behind me, take that to one of our lagoon facilities, clean it, deliver it like Deliveroo or Uber for laundry, if you will. What we've realized very quickly is that our client base started to creep into Airbnb managers, cafe, restaurant, gym, spa, nail salon, hair salon owners that just couldn't deal with the laundry themselves, or it was just a pain. They'd rather be focused on something else. And they really bought into our mission of trying to eliminate the impact that their linen, their laundry, their towels, their, you know, table covers had on, on the planet, which was great. So we lent into that, you know, two, three years ago. And we've been growing ever since. Last year, we stopped serving consumers and now focus entirely on servicing large businesses. And the two kind of main categories that we serve are your five, four, five-star hospitality operators, so hotel chains, things like that, as well as healthcare clients, both public and private. So we do hmm. a fairly large amount of volume in, in the healthcare space as well. What, when they come to you and, you know, because I guess they already have a laundry service, what are they typically mm. looking for? Because I guess that, you know, often I see that as an ex-operator, I see like what works, I will not change without really an incentive to do it. You know, that yeah. could be cost. It could also be impact in the world we're, we're living in now. Yeah. I think you've hit the nail on the head, Michael, which is it, it doesn't work. So their, their existing providers will be turning up late. They will be turning up with the wrong items, turning up with still dirty items. And mm. we call that a fa failure of OTIF IQ. So failure of on-time delivery, failure of in-full delivery, failure of in-quality delivery, uh, which obviously for an operator in hospitality is critical. You know, if you've got beds to change or you've got covers to change, you need that linen and those textiles to arrive ready to go. You can't be wasting time going through, finding stains, putting it on the bed, having to take it off again. It's a nightmare. So customers come to us because we get the basics right, first of all, and they get value for money. And then second of all, they do so without guilt, knowing that the service is provided is net zero um, for most of our customers. So the carbon emissions and the massive environmental footprint of their existing supplier in their scope three then goes away. And we have many customers that were either offsetting the carbon from their supplier or about to that can then save, in some cases, millions of pounds a year of offset charges because they switch to us, get a better service for a cheaper price, and they save the amount of money that they were going to spend on carbon offsetting to achieve neutrality. So it's a, a triple win. Yeah, it's interesting because normally when you're positioning sustainability or impact, you build a premium into it because you need to, to be able to deliver that. And it's quite interesting. You talked about all the time, how can you do things within the business to actually save money for your customers. And I can remember a previous guest we had on the show, a totally different business, uh, Niels Yard Cheese. So they also work with improvements inside their business to save the customer money. And they're especially mm. talking about restaurants where they don't want to end in the situation where restaurants can't afford buying cheese from them because they also know where the, the cheese market's moving. So it's really, really interesting in that acknowledgement. Actually, we have a duty to innovate inside to actually keep on having, you know, customers mm. coming back and buying from us again, and again. So the price doesn't become exactly a challenge. Yeah. It's, it's something that we, we believe is critical to the longevity of a decarbonized industry. And so we put our money where our mouth is with, with some of our newer clients, where we perform what are called gain share agreements. So we say to our clients, if you have data that shows the amount of energy intensity or, or lossage in your system. And this is very common in, in hospitality is pillowcases and towels walking out of, <laughs> of the, yeah. of the establishment and not coming back. Um, as I'm sure your listeners will attest to, we, we basically say to new customers, if we're able to help you reduce the amount of waste that you have in your system, 
will split the savings and give you money back. And we do that based on energy and loss of textiles. Mm. So we have two different models that we're testing, which means that we're all incentivized to keep the textiles alive, keep them from being washed in a way that is unsustainable. And you get money back if, if you buy into that as much as we do. So it's a really good way for us to show our clients that it can be done a different way rather than just saying it, you know, money talks. Yeah, and there's no doubt about, you know, uh, profitability always has to work before you can do uh, do anything of good or impact in the world. I'm a very big believer that you need to build a profitable business to be able to do impact on whatever that is. The other way around rarely, rarely is sustainable and it doesn't sustain. And I think I've looked into a lot of businesses and the most businesses that consistently deliver impacts, even if it started 40 years ago, and they saw helping the community just as a part of important thing to do. They were, first of all, they were profitable to be able to do that. And I think it's really, how do you find these margins and wins? But that actually lead me to another thing as I was looking through the work you were doing, talking with you, some of your people, you also do a lot of initiatives beside of what's embedded into the operation and the business that happens from an impact point of view. You also do a lot of initiatives with different groups of people uh, as you are as you are growing. Can you talk a bit about some of the key projects you've been working on, what kind of results you've seen and what it means for you and, and your customers? I love to work with the team over at Bissimple because they are always striving to get better. 1% better every day. So I had to share this with you because Bissimple have launched a new broadcast which highlights some of their favorite Hospitality Maverick podcast episodes over time. And if you're a new or hardcore super fan of the show, this is a perfect opportunity to catch up with some of the standout episodes from our massive back catalog. The Simply team has and will be extensively transcribing interesting moments from each episode while providing some new insights on our brilliant guest, the Mavericks. There's already some great write-ups with Mavericks like Chef Chantel Nicholson and the co-founder of Singerman's community of businesses, Ari Weinschwein. Find them at thissimply.com slash blog and click broadcast on the right side menu. Enjoy. Yeah, of course. So I think this is the side of sustainability that often gets missed and it's what I term kind of ethical employment and best practice there are also good frameworks like b corp of course and the yeah. better business act to help with this a little bit but we we spend a lot of time knowing what can we control to really help the communities around where our facilities are and our customers are and the first of that is, is obviously job creation and when we create jobs it's also making sure that those jobs have at least the real living wage for the geography that they're in. This is common sense. It should be table stakes across the industry. Unfortunately, we're one of the only real, real living wage kind of employers in our industry in the UK, which is a real shame, but hopefully that we see that change. So treating people with respect, you know, in our facilities is, is you know, A, done in the way that we employ and we upskill and there's lots of great progression, but it's also in the paycheck, you know, and that, that is what pays the bills at the end of the day. We also have quite a lot of good work that's done in communities around us with regards to pro bono washing. And what I mean by that is there are lots of homeless charities and care homes and even, you know, the British Heart Foundation and Cancer Research UK that we do washing for throughout the year at various times for free, just to make sure that the textiles and the operations inside those businesses can continue. We actually have made a pledge for this year to donate at least a percentage of all of our capacity and that's, you know, tons a week of cleaning to charities across, across the UK. So hopefully we'll be wow. able to help take the, you know, li lift a bit of the, the laundry load off their shoulders, which I think will make a, a big difference. So there's a couple of the initiatives that, that we have. We, we also spend a lot of time looking to recruit people that maybe get overlooked in terms of their socioeconomic mm. background. So we have lots of team members that were uh, homeless prior to joining the company or um, from incarceration and then come out of day release prisons and things like that and often make exceptionally loyal and high integrity team mem members, which is often counterintuitive to many employers. So something I'd highly recommend is, is that people look into services like Beam 
for example, these wonderful partners that we work with to to find team members for for the long term out of these pockets of overlooked um, societal groups. And those kind of things really help us to build a culture that is fit for everybody, not just your typical laundry operator. And it's interesting because actually how you've been talking about it and, 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 and also how I thought when I talked with you and, and your colleagues about that thing, you always try to connect it back to what you do on an everyday basis. It's back into the, the operation because then it actually gets done, I guess. That's the thinking. If it's like a project that runs on the side, it's often harder to mm-hmm. maintain. That's my own experience as well, taking in people with disabilities or uh, criminal backgrounds or just have had a bit of unlock in, in life in some kind of other way mm-hmm. were ill out of the, the workforce for a bit and then coming back in again is that you actually need to bring it back into the business to make it just part of normal and, and, and I'm thinking as you were talking I'm thinking about Tim, uh, Timson the uh, the, the key yeah. cutter and the shoemaker uh, fixer and what else they do and mm-hmm. passport photo they, they have a similar kind of approach to it as well it has That's to true. go into the operation you're right. So J- James Timson, who, yeah. who currently obviously run, runs that company, was the inspiration for for that model in in Oxford and been a good advisor for us. But they they really nailed this, and I think they're a really good leader in it. And there are others like Iceland, for example, that are doing yeah. great work too. So we're not alone in this. It is common sense. I think the point you made about embedding it in your business as usual is critical. It's something that we. We have struggled with in the past because we have, you know, a sustainability team and a head of sustainability that, you know, is is really the embodiment of our values and our mission in an individual. She's she's wonderful, Michelle. But often she has the most, I guess you would say, paradigm shift impact on our business when she's doing operational changes, you know, changing the energy supply that we use to biogas and agricultural gas and things like that rather than fossil fuels, you know the core parts of the business. If she's trying to work on, you know, just making sure that we recycle our food waste better, sometimes that doesn't actually move the needle as much because it's, as you said, a supplementary objective, mm. not part of the core business as usual. So I completely agree. Yeah. And I think coming back, I had a different conversation yesterday where we talked a lot about athletes, about what you can embed in your day-to-day operation, actually what drives the results in general. If Focus on those things first because they will make most impact internally and externally. And then it's just about you, of course, being able to articulate that or find that KPI to do that. But the data is available when you start doing that. But again, yeah. it's like, but then actually everybody gets motivated. And I think it's also about and seeing the change much more clearly than drops. I call projects drops and they drop a bit here and there's a bit of shine and then mm-hmm. everybody forgets about it. It doesn't me- mean they're not good, but I just think if mm-hmm. we as business leaders really think about what we can embed into our model, and that's also where you look at the, the most successful businesses, they really embed behavior into day-to-day activities uh, when they want to do good, but also make business results. That's super, super interesting. I just wanted to share that learning uh, with you, but, but staying with learnings as well, what have been, you know, you've been growing a business here and it's always interesting, you know, no matter what business you're growing, what, what have been your main learnings the last couple of years? Because we live in a crazy time. I definitely feel in all my experience and also when I talk with, you know, my mentor that has been through four decades of very senior leadership experience, that this is a very unique point in time and it's very complex and there's a lot of transitions happening and so on. What have you learned as a founder growing your business and any any good good pains you can share? Of course. I've certainly made more mistakes than I'd like to whittle off in a podcast for sure. But I think the the kind of primary learnings that I've made on a on a human level are around the team and the plasticity of learning. I think you're right. We live in an era where technology is changing at such a fast rate that the previous educational structures and learning regimes that were put in place for people coming up through education and then into the workplace with continuing education aren't fit for purpose. And a good example for this is probably the AI waves that we see at the moment. There are a lot of paradigm shifting tools coming out and evolving at a rate faster than people can learn them. Yeah. So I think at the point now we're starting to see the technology pace of iteration outstrip the individual's propensity to learn it and just getting yeah. left behind, which is really interesting. And I think gives a lot of kind of, I guess, 
you would say anxiety to to people in the workforce. We see it a lot with our younger team members that are coming out of education into the workplace for the first time, you know, working in hybrid remote work environments, which are fairly novel for even the past couple of decades. And so building a culture of an operational business and hospitality businesses are all operational businesses that encompasses both this modern tenet of flexible working with also career progression and the moving operation is a really delicate balance. What I've learned is that it's really important to try to get your GNA and the administration of an operational business as close to the operation of the business mm. as possible. And naturally, entropy tries to push them apart where people think, oh, I know everything. I know exactly how you remove red wine from a tablecloth. You know, I've seen them do it a thousand times. And my, my, my comment today is always, we're changing the way we do this so frequently. You cannot assume for one day that what you thought previously still holds. And I think that's a learning that I see many operational businesses fall over on where they have their GNA, the software engineering, even accountancy, marketing, whoever it is, you know, in the, another part of the country, another country, and then the operation that's being iterated in somewhere else. And the disconnect can be completely catastrophic. So for me, my biggest learning has just been around cohesion, making sure that you have all of your team members working as close to the value that you provide your customers as possible. Yeah, and, and that's super interesting because there is this debate all the time. Who can work, you're thinking about hospitality operation, who can work remotely and who can? It's very obvious the one that opens the, the doors and serves the customers. But again, you know, again, how, how many days can you then be away from, from the core of the business? And I think also it's that it's about that being, you know, as when you have an operational business, I guess it's also being uh, as close as understanding what is it that the customers are buying again, again, because you are all depending on the success of the customers, uh, uh, you know, willingness to keep on buying the product, raving about it. And you can't be mm -hmm. that remotely often, I think. And I think there's an interesting right. debate in many, many jobs, how, how close do you actually need to be at the customer? Because I also think technology is taking us away from our customers in many kind of ways, which is a, an interesting thinking about AI's threat to hospitality, which is a totally different subject, which is one I'm, I'm discussing in, in, in a couple of months' time on, on, on a conference. And I actually think there can be many benefits by it, but we also need to understand mm -hmm. when is it that the human value has to be delivered. And actually, I think AI can really optimize hospitality mm -hmm. in many, many ways and maybe actually give the industry that break it needs in, in these very, very difficult times. But actually, I wanted to touch a bit on as well as, as you also part, you know, you're, you're selling into two industries, you said healthcare and hospitality, but you're very similar. But if you could take, you know, as a supplier to those industries, if you can take problems away, which problem would you like to take away mm. from these, these industries? So it made it easier for everyone. Oh, I've got a big one and it's, it's one that I hopefully a lot of your listeners will resonate with, which is the loss of items. So this is a hidden problem that often gets overlooked uh, because of the way the industry works. But at scale, many of your listeners will already know this, the linen that's used on beds in hotels or on tables in restaurants, or the, even the scrubs worn by operators in healthcare settings in hospitals, clinics, and things like that is never owned by the hospital, the hotel, the restaurant. It's owned by the laundry provider mm. as a textile service. Now, what happens is that rental model of basically, here is a scrub you can wear, or here's a pillowcase you can pop on your bed, relies on that pool of linen and textiles going round and round the loop, right? The life support system, which is essentially being used and then being cleaned and then being used, being cleaned and, and so on and so forth. The problem is that it's very easy to say that that's a cycle, but in practice, it's barely a cycle at all. In fact, two thirds of all linen used in hospitality companies in the UK provided by laundries every month is brand new and only a third is actually washed and then reused. So people think that laundry services are these circular models that are helping to save the planet through reusing a pillowcase. But actually in practice, most of them get ragged, burned, incinerated, trashed, stolen. They just disappear out of the system completely. And we've realized as we've grown as a company and we provide these rental services to customers that 
tracking those items, understanding where they're going, recovering them and keeping them inside the life support system is really critical. It's a bit like being in a spacecraft with a leak. Eventually you're going to run out of air and you're dead. Yeah. It's the same thing with linen, you know, being used in a hotel or a, a, in, a, in a hospital. Once the linen's gone, it's gone. You can't use it even if it is clean. And so we, we see ourselves as much as an inventory management company now as we do a laundry company. And we have a lot of innovation and patterns around tracing, tracking items using various technologies, but critically displaying that information for clients so that they can understand, hang on a minute, where are all my dressing gowns going? We can say, well, actually, they're going out that door in lots of three every four hours. You know, that kind of data is really critical to be able to improve our clients' operations so that they can save money. Because of course, when those items do go missing, and you know, we can show that they do, the client gets charged because it's it's essentially theft or loss. So we're doing everything in our power to minimize that that wastage because it's by far the biggest cost on on many industries. The NHS alone spends two hundred and fifty million pounds a year replacing linen that it's lost. It's insane. It's absolutely mental. So we need to keep it in circulation and keep it clean at the same time. Yeah. And then there's all the environmental impact by acquiring new all the time, which is even the impact that comes from that. I was thinking like, you know, one thing is that there's a financial impact, but really like also the impact it has on the the planet that we are, because we have to replace them, especially in the hospitals. There's, there's no in a hotel, you cannot have towels, so it will be replaced no exactly. matter what, because the, the, it will yeah. not work without. What are, what are the things you are really excited about right now? And, and uh, where now in early 2024, you probably set some very ambitious goal and looking forward to the next couple of years. But what does like, is there like a specific thing that's coming up where you think this is super exciting for us or our clients? Yeah. So the big one operationally is that we are. Um, increasing our capacity of this new plant that I'm sat in at the moment, Big Blue, to be able to do tons an hour of laundry, but still in a net zero process, which has never been done before. Mm. Our process to date has been, broadly speaking, in the kind of maybe half a ton an hour range, um, but at net zero. But at an industrial scale, it's very hard to keep the process, you know, as low in energy as as we want it to be. So in Q1 of this year, all of that new equipment gets plugged in, programmed, and the innovation gets layered on top to achieve far greater capacity, but also net zero. So that's really exciting. So that's at our facility in Big Blue. In terms of the R&D of the company, we are hoping to um, finally start being able to talk about a research project that we're doing with NASA in the USA and some other partners to take our technology and put it in orbit so that astronauts can use it for cleaning textiles that they wear or sleep in in space, uh, which is a nice return to the industry for, for me personally, but really exemplifies what we're doing. You know, we are a life support system for textiles, so let's put a life support system in space, right? It makes sense to, to me at least. So that's really exciting because there's all sorts of interesting tech, such as acoustic drying that we've had to put into that process where you can't use heat. So that's very innovative and I think will hopefully break the use of any form of non-renewable energy from the industry once and for all, which is really exciting. But I guess also it pushes the boundaries of what can be done on Earth as well as you are doing that. I guess it's almost like an innovation lab of, oh, we hadn't thought about we yeah. could tweak things like that way and you might get some huge gains. Uh, I think I read somewhere, you know, coming back to Tesla and Elon Musk, one of the reasons the space thing, it's really to also take some of those ideas and put them into the existing yeah. businesses. There's, there's a connect there of the innovation power that gives, because mm-hmm. you're forced to think radically differently as soon as you are involved with space, because it's just a totally different yeah. environment. You've, yeah. you've got so it. And I mean, Tesla and SpaceX share the same head of materials because they innovate the materials for, let's say, stainless steel at SpaceX and now use it on the Cybertruck. So I think you're absolutely right, pushing your boundaries of the status quo, blasting them out the way and then trying something new is really important. And it's one of our core values here is creativity. Um, and so that's something that pushes, you know, people's thoughts a little bit further outside the box and out of orbit as well in some cases. And one other thing I wanted to ask you about as well, because running a business is hard. Uh, Scaling up a new business is very hard. And then being the founder is extremely 
tough. It's tough to be a founder. I'm founder myself. It's quite demanding. How do you show up as the best version of yourself every day? Because that's yes. what it demands. It's true. And it's, I think for many of your listeners, they are probably owner operators yeah. as well. And so, so get this right, you know, your own, your own boss, but the buck stops with you as well. And I think for me, the only thing that keeps me go going is really enjoying the journey. You know, I see a lot of colleagues and, and friends in other industries that are in the pursuit of happiness, but not in the happy in the pursuit of a goal. Mm. And I think it's really important to be, to be happy in the pursuit. And so I surround myself with individuals that I learn from, that I enjoy working with in an environment that is, you know, free of any of the kind of gripes of the old era of the workplace. And I think that that's really important uh, to build, build that, that kind of group of trust around you and fun. It's, it's something I see a lot of companies forget is you've got to have a bit of fun. You know, you do have to mm. have a laugh, have a joke and, and celebrate the wind, stop to smell the roses because very quickly, otherwise you just wear yourself down to the point where your motivation is gone and, and you spiral into a quit or an exit of some kind. So I love what we do, but we've still got a lot to do. Mm. And that's what makes me happy and gets me out of bed in the morning. Um, is there any advice you would give to leaders also running businesses as a force for good and trying to make a more positive impact on the world? I think we touched on it earlier around embedding the embodiment of your purpose in your products and not compromising. I see so many companies as they start to scale compromise. And yes, we have to a little bit at Oxwash, but I'm I'm actually a bit of a prick to work with with suppliers because, you know, at scale, they're like, you need boilers, you need all of this. I'm like, no, stop trying to sell me these things. I will not compromise. And it's it's so important to just remain dogmatic and keep, you know, the mission uh, front and center. I see all too many companies lose that over time. Then they lose their USP. Customers don't come to stay or to eat or whatever. And then, you know, it spirals. I think keeping true to your mission and why you're doing what you're doing is so important. So important. Is there one question you wish I've asked you and what would that question be? And what would the answer be? <laughs> That's a good one. You haven't asked me what my biggest mistake has been, mm -hmm. which is a question that I think is important to answer. Yeah. And which one to pick, I guess, is the problem. I think for me, our biggest mistake was not learning, and, and me specifically, not learning which customers we wanted to serve mm -hmm. early enough. As I kind of alluded to earlier, we've been on a real journey of consumers then Every type of business under the sun, we, we basically said during COVID, if you've got laundry, we'll do it for you. And so we got, you know, everything you can imagine, running capes, teddy bears, uh, theater gowns, museum pieces, bedding, Christ, all, all of it, which was great, you know, good for optimizing the technology, of course, but very difficult to scale. And so the biggest mistake for us was not defining who are our ideal customers early enough and then just really you know, sticking with it. I do feel we finally have gotten there, but could we have done it a bit sooner? Probably yes. Is that because it was hard for you to find them or what do you think that took you on that journey? Because sometimes I hear people also have to go on a discovery journey because you have your ideal audience, but reality shows they're not interested as you thought, and you have to go and find yeah. another audience. I actually think for us, if I'm honest with you, Mike, it was just being brave enough with the, the kind of investment that we received to basically get rid of customers that have been with us. And that's mm. difficult, you know, especially as, you know, as an owner of a company, you've got customers that have been with you for a long period of time to say, look, sorry, thanks for getting us this far, but actually we're going over here to serve these guys now is it does pull on the heartstrings and makes you feel a bit reluctant, but you have to have courage to be like, this is in the best interest of the business. Our team members, you know, their livelihoods and ultimately the mission, you know, we make far more impact in decarbonization, washing commercial uh, scale laundry rather than what people would otherwise wash at home. Because uh, you can buy Ecova, you can use a renewable power supplier to wash your clothes at home, right? Um, but at scale, nobody is doing it sustainably. So I wish we'd maybe had the courage earlier to go harder into our big kind of hospitality and healthcare customer segments 
and then move away from everything else. So that's a key learning. Mm. Really interesting. Thank you for, for sharing that, Kyle. Where can people find out more about you, Oxwash? Where should they go? Where can they connect with you guys online? Of course. So for Oxwash, our website's definitely the first place to go, just oxwash.com.co.uk, all, all of the good stuff like that. So you can see what we're doing in terms of our technology, our mission, and the services that we provide if you're interested, of course, in, in solving that laundry headache that no doubt you probably have if you're listening to this podcast and you're in this industry. But then for me personally, LinkedIn, people are always welcome to send a message and add me on there if they've got any questions or any thoughts around what we're doing. It's always very welcome um, and well-received. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Kyle. I send uh, you and the team Power Energy for, for the year ahead. Lots of exciting things coming up. Uh, speak to you soon. Thank you. I really appreciate that you're listening in. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with others, rate it or give it a review or subscribe to one of our channels, which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. I believe that reading books is key to become a great leader. So I've helped you with a curated list of some of the books that have impacted the guests here on the show and myself over the years. Find it on Hospitality Mavericks website, hospitalitymavericks.com, under the reading list. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at BizSimply.com or on their social at BizSimply or BizSimplyHQ. You can also email them directly at podcast at BizSimply.com. If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or my email, michael at hospitalitymavericks.com. I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast Show. Be Maverick!